That's not good. No, we need to be set apart at the same time we're not to be living judgmental. We see no evidence of that with Joseph or Daniel. They're not judging. They're serving. Faithfully serving, using the gifts that God has given to them. And, and just, you know, that's the key for us. To be a people set apart. And that's what God wants for his people here. To be set apart. To not be like those worshiping false gods. And that's kind of the premise as we get in the next sections. And I've got to be honest with you, Okay. I love the Bible, but I can't say Leviticus is my favorite book, okay? All right, anybody with me on that one? I, I, there's so much detail here. You know, I just, the details are just, I'm not a detailed person, okay? I'm a big picture person. But as I was studying this afternoon, finally some light bulbs started coming on as far as what's going on with all these different rituals. The next section talks about the holiness of the priests. And I'm going to kind of be bouncing around, so, um, you know, Dale in the back there, just be ready. I'm going to be bouncing a bit. Who's there? Oh, so who's... I can't, who's, is Jane back? Oh, hi. Hey, Mike. Okay. How you doing back there? I'm going to be bouncing around. Okay. We're going to go to um, 21. We're going to start with the first part there. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brothers, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has had no husband. And so what we're seeing here is there's some very specific laws laid out for these priests. These are the, the general priests. We're going to see a little bit for the chief priests. They can't touch dead bodies except for those closest to them. That seems like a strange thing, right? Why is this? At first, maybe I was thinking because maybe they're concerned about, you know, diseases being transferred from a dead body to the living people because of all the diseases that could go through their community. But the more I read about it, what I came to realize is a lot of the pagan cultures around them worship dead bodies, okay? And so God does not want his people to worship dead bodies. And ultimately, they weren't to touch the dead bodies unless they were closest relatives, and I was thinking about this, even in our society today. Think about zombie movies. It's a big thing right now, okay? Just things like that, that, that even a lot of people too, they worship the, the remains of their loved ones, okay? When we leave this planet, what happens? Our soul goes to be with God, okay? Who we really are is the soul inside of us. Our society puts so much emphasis on the external. This external is only temporary, you know, one day we're going to have a perfect heavenly body, okay? But what's important is the soul. And God does not want us to put too much emphasis on the body, on the flesh. What matters is the soul of a human being. And so the priests were to be examples of this. And if they were to touch um, dead bodies um, outside of their closest family members, they would be ceremonial and clean, and they could not do the things they were supposed to do in the temple. Jump down to verse 5. We just kind of heard Mike share about this. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. Again, not to follow the pagan practices of the people around them. Okay, that's a big part of why they're doing this. They're to be set apart, not like the worldly people around them. Verse 7. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Now, the, the whole system they have is God is completely holy, okay? 
And the way they had their um, tabernacle set up, there was the Holy of Holies. And God was present in that Holy of Holies. And only the high priest can go in there a little bit to see the strict um, rules even for the high priest. And so the holiness kind of went through the Holy of Holies and to the high priest and to the priests and then out to the people. We're going to see Jesus has fulfilled all this. Because of Jesus, we become the priesthood of all believers. Okay? It's not the same as it was then, but still what should be emphasized, and what I gain from this, is we need to always honor the holiness of God. So moving on. And by the way, too, with that, the whole idea that even the offspring of these priests through their, their wives was to be a holy, so to speak, offspring. Now the next section, verse 10 of following, is the high priest. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose. And going on then verse 11, he shall not go into um, any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean. Even for his father or his mother, he shall not go out of the sanctuary. Now the high priests, they were chosen for periods of time. They were to stay in a sanctuary even if their father or mother died. Any family member, they couldn't go out and touch them or be with them at that point. That is how you know, closely they followed this, this ritual at that time. And you look through that whole section there, basically it's the same thing as a priest, but it goes even more in depth. What is expected of the high priest even more than the other priests. And so the next section, verse 16, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. Now, a big part of what was in the holy place and the holy of holies is, is this ceremonial bread. Okay? And the way it was set up was, if you go through that section, Certain people that have certain defects were not allowed to serve in that capacity of being like the high priests, okay, or to do these offerings. And that seems kind of strange to us. Why is that? This is really a, a foretaste of the one who is to come to be the great high priest who is who? Jesus. And he's what? He's perfect, okay? And this may seem, seem strange, but they're basically even the priests had to be, have some degree of perfection, but even those that had the defects, we're going to see, we're going to be allowed to um, have what's called the holy meal. We're going to jump to verse 22. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, and he may not profane my sanctuaries. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And so at the same time, even though they're not allowed to carry out these sacrifices, the priest shared what's called a holy meal. Now, what is that? Now, I think you know, a couple few weeks back, um, one of the questions came up. I don't think I had a chance to answer it. Was when they make these sacrifices, okay, with, with the grain and with the meat and all that stuff, does it all get destroyed? Is it, is it, what's it used for? Well, the burnt offerings were completely burnt, okay? Those were completely, the whole thing is burned to, to God's glory. But the rest of the sacrifices, the meat, the food, guess what it went to? The priests. That's what they ate, okay? And there's, we're going to see very strict rules here as far as, you know, who could eat those holy meals because it's consecrated to God. And so he viewed it that they would eat this holy food and it would make them what? Even more holy, Okay? And what symbolism do we have today of a holy meal? 
We just had a little bit ago, didn't we? The Lord's Supper, okay? And so all can partake of it. But back then, only the priests and their immediate families could partake of that holy meal, including those that did not, that had blemishes and weren't allowed to go into the most holy place. Let's go to chapter 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron. I'm sorry, I already just did that one. I'm sorry. And so, verse 4. Let's go down to verse 4. None of the offspring of Aaron who has leprous disease or discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Okay, now it's going into the rules of who can eat the holy things. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has had an emission of semen, and whoever touches a swarming thing um, by which he may have made which it may, he may be made unclean, or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. Now, this is getting more in-depth as far as this holy meal. Okay, we're seeing that those before who had defects, they could eat the holy meal, but now for those that have certain impurities are not allowed to, Okay? So that's how sacred this is being kept. Jump to verse 10 in chapter 22. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest or the priest or of the priest or hired servant shall eat a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. Again, specific details as far as who could eat the holy food that was given as offerings. We're going to jump down now to, to um, the next section, what offerings are acceptable. And again, more detail here, and I want to jump to verse 19. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish. We're talking about the sacrifice that were offered. Or bulls or the sheep of the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering. And so even the sacrifices they were to offer had to be what? Close to perfection. Why? God deserves the best, right? But who's going to be the ultimate sacrifice? You see, Jesus fulfills both ends of this, okay? He is a great high priest who fulfills the priesthood. He's also going to be the Lamb of God to take away our sins. And he's the perfect sacrifice for sins. And so even for the Jewish people that reject Jesus as Messiah, the imagery here is so clear. It's all pointing to Jesus. That even the offerings they were to offer were to be as perfect as possible. Because God deserves the best, but ultimately Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Any more questions on that one? Okay. We're going to go down to chapter 23. And what I need is I need some volunteers. I wasn't sure we're going to get this far. And so I have some worksheets for you. Who can help me pass these out? Okay. Thank you all.
Thank you. Now, what is Leviticus really? What Leviticus is, it's, it's a worship manual for the people of Israel. And chapter 23 is a liturgical calendar. Now, I want to give you, you know, something I came across the last few months. It's a church I've been helping. So once a month, I'm helping a church called Holy Cross Lutheran. And they, in addition to the, the Lutheran worshipers who worship there, they rent their space um, on Saturdays to a Christian group that follows all the Jewish festivals. And it's just kind of interesting how they do it. And recently, we've had a bunch of festivals take place. Okay, which ones are they? Yom Kippur just recently happened. Rosh Hashanah, that's the, the Jewish New Year. And so they follow those days exactly when they happen, and they do events pretty much all day long. And I've been kind of quizzing, asking them questions that I see them and saying to f understand what they're doing. And, you know, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's fulfilled all these things. It's a beautiful imagery. And what I want to share with you is what that imagery is. And so rather than reading through this, this chapter as it is, um, this kind of lays out the different festivals and kind of the Christian symbolism behind each one of them. But the one that's not on here is the Sabbath. And it begins in chapter 23 with the Sabbath. And for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was when? Saturday. So why do we as Christians so much focus on Sunday? Why? Jesus rose on Sunday. He changed the calendar, okay? Um, he rose on a Sunday. And, and because of that, and because also at the time the, the, the um, temple was open to be to used, um, it went to Sunday, okay? But really the New Testament makes it clear, make sure you have a day you set aside. Okay, some Christians worship on a Saturday, some worship on a Sunday. Um, most of the Christian churches have kind of focused on Sunday, but even it could be a Wednesday, any day to have a Sabbath rest. But for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was kind of the center, and they honored it very closely. That on that Sabbath, what did they do? They didn't work. They worshiped God. And I want to encourage us in our lives to adopt a Sabbath. You know, sometimes what I'm realizing is we put all these Old Testament things, okay, well, that doesn't apply to us anymore. It's true, the moral law does not, I mean, that applies to us. The ceremonial civil laws, don't have to follow them, but we can learn from them. That's, I pray you're learning things from Leviticus we can apply to our lives. And I think one thing we should make clear and apply is that Sabbath. That's part of the even moral law. Okay? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To take a day and shut down. When's the last day you went with your phone off for 24 hours? Has it happened the last couple of years? Anybody do that recently? Everybody, shut your phone down for a whole day? Did you survive? You're, st you're here if you did. I mean, you're still here. I think it's okay to do that sometimes, folks. Life is getting so busy, so hectic. You know, I got to be honest with you. I was um, up in Minnesota for most of the last week with my dad's place, middle of nowhere. And I can't say I shut my phone off for a whole day, but I did shut down a lot. I worked, did a lot of work for my dad and kind of changed my pace of what I do. And I can honestly say that I feel a lot better when I got back, okay? And sometimes we just need to shut down. God didn't make us to keep going and going and going. 
physically, emotionally, spiritually, we need that Sabbath. We need to take some time to reflect, to think about what we think about. Do you do that, folks? Are our lives so busy that we don't take time to think about what's going on inside ourselves? It's so important that we do that. Okay? As I've you know, shared with some of you before, I, I focus on, you know, do a lot of coaching with pastors. And I've come across a lot of pastors that are so burned out. They're running and running and running. I was one of those a couple years ago, burned out. And what I realized in the training I've done with pastors, even the, the time I had off for a while, we got to take care of ourselves spiritually. We got to focus on this vertical relationship with God. You know, what did Jesus do? He had an extremely busy schedule, and what did he do time and time again? He went off by himself. He had a busier schedule than any of us, folks. He went off by himself. Sometimes we need to do that. That's Sabbath rest. Now we're going to go to the worksheet. And it's kind of got a listing of some of the things that are there. The Passover. Okay? And notice how so many Christian things tie into the Passover. Can that Passover, the Passover meal got transformed and changed into what? The Lord's Supper in that upper room. Jesus changed the whole Passover. So on the 14th of Nisan, which is on the, the um, Jewish calendar, you notice in our, our, our calendar that every year Easter kind of does what? It changes based upon the Jewish calendar, okay? And so that's, that's why it, it changes. You know, I, I love it when Easter is like it, way deep in April. I wish it would stay there. Sometimes it can be as early as in March, Okay? Now, the biblical observance, the slaying of the Passover lamb, remembering redemption from slavery in Egypt, historical event, the crucifixion of the Messiah. Who was the ultimate Passover lamb? Jesus, the fulfillment of that. I apologize, this, the, the print is not really clear here, but um, this is one of the better sheets I could find online. It goes on some scripture from 1 Peter. You were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your forefathers. With the precious blood of Messiah, a lamb without blemish or defect. That Jesus is the Passover lamb. He fulfills the Passover. The other verse there, get rid of old leaven that, will, that may be a new batch without leaven. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we see with the Passover lamb is also the unleavened bread starting on the 15th and it goes for a week. And again, the focus is on, on Jesus. Now the first fruits, the 16th of Nisan, presenting the first you know, sheaf of the harvest before God. The historical event, the resurrection. And so it ties into the resurrection. Who's the first fruit from the dead? Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Messiah has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In him all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Messiah, the first fruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Has anybody here ever done any farming? Okay, so when you're, you see those first little sheaves come through the ground, what does that mean? The rest is going to start coming too. For farmers, it's an exciting thing. All of a sudden, it's like, yep, it's starting. Or for those of you planting that fall grass, okay? 
Once you start seeing those, that first grass coming up, what's going to happen? Eventually it's going to all, it's going to start growing. Hopefully before the birds eat all the seed, it's going to fill in, okay? Does that happen to some of you? Those birds come in and try to eat that all the seed? And so Jesus, the first fruit from the dead for this particular part, ties into Jesus. Then you have the weeks, which is Pentecost. Seven weeks of counting in anticipation of upcoming initial harvest. For we as Christians, we have was called Lent, right? The Lenten season. Or actually, it leads on, actually, past Lent, even to the 50 days afterwards. So you have Lent leading up to, to I'm sorry, to the Passover. But after that, you got the 50 days leading up to Pentecost. And this is basically the birth of the church. And so the verse here from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, from every nation under heaven. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 added to their number on that day. And so on the first Pentecost for the new Christian church, the church grew from 120 people one day to how many? 3,120 in one day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the symbolism there is that Pentecost, basically weeks, is fulfilled by the start of the Christian church. And I find it very amazing that God shows his disciples to build his church. That when Jesus died and rose, the church was only 120 people, okay? And then at first Pentecost, how many came to faith? 3,000. That God chose to do his work through people like us. I find it so humbling. There's no plan B. He chose us to be his ambassadors, the one to be his priesthood. And then we have trumpets. It's in September. Okay, the calling of God's people to gather for a solemn assembly. Historical event, the calling up of the church, and the second coming of the Messiah. And so even the Bible talks about this, the trumpet will blast. In fact, here's 1 Thessalonians, it says, chapter 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. The trumpet, the trumpet call of God, the second coming of Jesus. And then the day of atonement. Okay, by the way, trumpets talks into, ties into Rosh Hashanah, okay, the Jewish New Year. Then, ten days after that is a day of atonement, Yom Kippur. The annual day of judgment when the high priest offers sacrifices and enter the Holy of Holies to obtain forgiveness for the sin of the nation. Recall there were two goats that they had, okay? One goat was sacrificed and the blood put upon the atonement cover of the Holy of Holies. And who fulfills that? Christ. And one of them, the priest announces the sins of the whole community over that goat and that goat was put out in the wilderness and it went off in the wilderness. It was called the scapegoat. Fulfilled by who? Jesus. Are you seeing how he fulfills all these things? The tie-in. We're called Judeo-Christians, folks. Okay, we can't just throw away our, our Jewish background. We are completed Jewish people. And that's where I'm, I'm starting to realize more and more some of the beauty in these festivals. And some verse to tie into this. In Revelation 20. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is a book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. 
And in Hebrews, when Messiah came as high priest, he did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all as a mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And so these scriptures all tie back to this, that Jesus is a fulfillment of the day of atonement. That through Christ, we, our sins are atoned for. And the last one is tabernacles. This is 15 days after Rosh Hashanah, as far as the Jewish New Year. And dwelling in temporary shelters, a memory of dwelling with God in the wilderness. That all believers eternally will one day dwell with God. That's a symbolism. As they dwell in those, those booths, and they still do this. The Jewish people, the symbol is one day we're going to dwell with who? God in heaven. In Zechariah 14, 16, King the Lord Almighty, and it's, wait, it's, it's cut off. I'm going to see here. Mine cuts that off. I'm sorry. I'm going to go to, go to um, the one from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That Jesus fulfills that one day through Jesus, we're going to dwell with God forever. And so this is a liturgical calendar of the Jewish people, but it ties beautifully into what? Our Christian faith, our Christian heritage. And in closing, what I want to make clear is this. That Jesus, by fulfilling all these things, in fact, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil of the Holy of Holies? It split from top to bottom. The symbolism no longer does a perfect high priest have to go to make, you know, the sacrifice for us. That Jesus, a great high priest, has made the ultimate sacrifices. We now have direct access to God through who? Jesus. And we now are all part of the priesthood of believers in the New Testament. But this has all been fulfilled by Jesus. So hopefully this was helpful as far as understanding more about the significance of these festivals and even all the details they had for the priests and how they were to eat the holy meals. So let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord God, you are a holy God. And Lord Jesus, you are the great high priest. You're also the sacrifice for sin. You fulfill all of these Old Testament practices. And because of you, we know our future is secure. We will dwell with you forever. And Lord, even as we look at these sacred meals in the Old Testament, still that we see tying to them. And help us to learn from these sections of the Old Testament how we can live better lives and hold you even more holy in our lives because so often this world seems to diminish who you are. Lord, we praise you for you. We worship you because you truly are a holy awesome God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.